0: to the soul sessions podcast deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction codependency emotional eating weight concerns and the trance of unworthiness tune in weekly to befriend nourish and heal body feelings mind and soul and now your host soul-centered psychotherapist trauma expert and mind body eating coach Jody Gale
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. This episode is sponsored by my new Facebook group, Trauma Warriors. I would like to acknowledge traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Sheree Miller, and we are going to be talking about Noom. So Sheree is a licensed professional counsellor in the state of Texas. She is founder and owner of Food Freedom Therapy TM, a group practice of therapists and coaches who help people make peace with food and their bodies. She has 15 years of experience as an eating disorder therapist, mentor, speaker, educator, and advocate. She is also a member of the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals Foundation, which is the IAEDP, and the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, ASDH. Hello, welcome.
0: Hi, thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I'm so excited that you had time for today because there's a topic that keeps coming up online and it's around Noom. And you always know how these posts are going to end up. So I'm really looking forward to you talking about that because I saw one of your blog posts. So would you just share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and what brought you to this work?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I am recovered myself. So that's really where my passion comes from. I'm sure Mm -hmm. you hear that a lot. But when I was in recovery, I just remember thinking, I want this all to mean something someday for more than just me. So oh, I didn't know what that would look like at the time. But <laughs> here I am. Um, I wasn't always a therapist. It took me a while to come back to this place. But I think that was a good thing. I had some more healing to do. <laughs> yeah. After uh, college and even graduate school, I don't think I would have been ready to be a good therapist. So I've been doing this work in this realm for, gosh, I think about six, seven years at this point, mm-hmm. And I just really,
1: really love what I do. I feel very passionate about it. So did you go straight from college? What's your journey been to becoming a therapist? So I thought I was
0: going to be an English teacher. I majored in English in college and then realized towards the end, I didn't want to do that both because I didn't want to teach (laughs) After having done some work in the schools, I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Uh, This is so hard. And also by then I I had gone through some recovery and Mm -hmm. again, was was feeling like I really wanted to do something with helping people and psychology and all that. So I actually started getting my master's of social work after that and Uh I didn't finish it. It didn't feel like the right fit for me. And just some personal things going on in my life. uh, I didn't finish, but I had every intention of starting back to school right away with something else when I Mm -hmm. kind of figured out what would be a better fit for me. And that didn't happen uh, because of life circumstances. So 10 years later, (laughs) I was finally at a place where I was like, okay, I'm doing this. And so I was working working full-time in corporate marketing and while I continued to do that I went back to school to get my graduate degree in professional counseling and so mm. it took me a few years because in that time I was working and then I ended up getting married and having a baby and so it wow. took me several years but I did it eventually I plugged away and managed to finish my degree and then get my license so
1: it's really good to hear that because I, um, I don't know about you but certainly in my private practice over the last 20 years, I've had people just with lots of false I'm not saying you had false starts, but I do work with people who have lots of false starts. Maybe they've had to leave school because of their eating disorder or study has been too stressful. So they've had to pause and they're in their early twenties and thinking, I'm a failure, I'm not going to get anywhere. And hearing you say that it took a little bit of time like that, I think that's really promising for people to hear. I mean, I know myself, I was 29 when I started my degree and to become a therapist. So it's just nice to hear that it wasn't just that straightforward sort of first career choice and off you go kind of thing. So
0: yeah, I would agree with that. And I think so often it's not for people, but when the clients that I've worked with that are like that as well, you're right. There's a sense of there's something wrong with me. Why don't I have this figured out yet? <laughs> like yeah. You're probably more normal than you think you are. <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So look, we're going to talk about Noom today and some people might be looking at this on the app and thinking, what is Noom? So would you start by sharing what Noom is?
0: Yeah. So Noom is a program that claims not to be a diet, which is I'm sure what we'll unpack today, but really they claim to help people lose weight long-term and keep it off. And they claim to be different because they say that they have the psychology element. And I do know that they had in the development of Noom, they had some input from mental health professionals, which is Unnerving, but hey, we know even in this field there's weight bias um, yeah. and issues. So that's kind of their shtick is that they claim we're not a diet and we're different because we address the psychology so that you can lose weight and keep it off
1: for good. Okay. And so they are predominantly online or only online. Is that, I um, mean, you know, if we're thinking about other weight loss places, I guess, you know, thinking about Weight Watchers and whatever else, you can do that online and go in person. But Noom is all online. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. And I think they really push people to their app. Um, Cause that's, it was one of those, I'm like, I have to take up space to put this on my phone, but I really <laughs> wanted to get a peek behind the curtain, so to speak. So I was like, I'm going to delete it later. So I did everything in the app. I think that's probably primarily how people would interface with it.
1: I see. Okay. Okay. So in the app, so I know from reading your blog about this, that you actually signed up for, for the free trial. What made you do that before we were talking, I had a bit of a Google and looked at it and I'm vegetarian, but I just, uh, what came up was the vegan diet. And I was just saying to you beforehand that it was, I was quite shocked at what I saw. So I think I'd be too scared to go in for the trial. So what made you do that?
0: Well, I kept seeing it pop up everywhere. It's on TV. It was showing up in my social media feeds. I have clients talking about it. And so I thought I need to talk about this and address it. And it's one of those, because of where I'm at in my journey, I pretty much call BS on it Mm -hmm. (laughs) just by the commercials, because, you know, I know the stats and the research about dieting of any kind, but I thought if I'm going to be speaking to this in an educated way, I probably should know like specifics about it and I should know more information about it and so when I went online to look at it they were offering a free trial so I was like okay (laughs) I'm gonna be a like I felt like a double agent like I'm gonna (laughs) sign up just so I can go in and I was like screenshotting stuff and making (laughs) as I was I utilized the free trial just to basically come up with a case against why they're terrible and why they're not what they claim to be and honestly I couldn't even stomach it more than 24 hours before a full day was up. I had already deleted the app. I mean, I had plenty of information to talk about it and it just Mm -hmm. made me so mad and sick. That was like, it's off. It's off my phone.
1: (laughs) Well, it's interesting. A few years ago here in Australia, I'm not sure if you heard of it over here. We had the I quit sugar program. Did you hear about that?
0: I have seen a couple of things about that.
1: Yeah. So she was quite, I can't remember what her name is now off the top of my head, Uh, Sarah, someone. Anyway, it was massive. And I thought I've got to see what's going on in here because I kept getting clients coming who were on the program and I I was pretty clueless to what it actually was. And I've got to say, I went in and was reading the forums and just, I could not believe what I was seeing. It was like eating disorder central and Mm -hmm. I lasted like a day. It was, I actually paid for it. It was a hundred and something dollars, but I thought I just need to know more about what's actually going on so that I was educated around it in terms of client use. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll discover more as you talk around. It's probably sounding quite similar already, I think. So how many people do you reckon are using Noom? Are there stats out there? Is there, how many people do you think?
0: I don't know. Currently, I know when I wrote my blog post and I was doing some research, I did draw heavily from somebody else that had done some research into the, like some of the numbers. And at the yeah. time there was over 10 million people who had <gasps> downloaded the app. So I'm sure wow. that number is even higher now. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's a lot, a lot, a lot of people, which is why I feel like this conversation is so important.
1: Yeah. And what does it cost? You know, gosh, I don't remember since uh, I used the <laughs> the free trial. Yeah, I was actually just looking at it. I should have, but it's all very sneaky. So actually what happened to get further, you actually have to put your details in. So I had to put my height and my weight and then I had to put some kind of uh, exercise level in and whatever else. And then I had to put my email address in, of course, in order to get how much weight I would lose by so-and-so weight or something. So it's all very funnel isn't it? Like it draws you into the funnel. You have to, in mm-hmm. order to find out this, you have to put this in and whatever else. So I never quite got to what it costs. So who knows? <laughs> but, whatever it is, is too much. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, I think you briefly touched on this already, but what are their two main claims? Their main claims
0: are that they are different, that they use CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy type uh-huh. principles to help you lose weight and that that's different. And because of that, that you'll be able to lose the weight For good. And I think they're addressing this thing that we all kind of inherently know, I think, to some degree, whether we want to really accept it or not is a different thing, because that can be a tough place to come to. But I think we all have that experience of that yo-yo weight mm-hmm. diet or weight cycling and dieting where we go on a diet and maybe we lose weight. And it, so it works for a while, but it doesn't stay off long-term. Mm. And so I think they're speaking to that. The other thing is that they claim not to be a diet. You know, This is kind of becoming trendy where I think people are kind of sick of the idea of dieting either because they know it's miserable or because they know it doesn't really work long-term. And so I think now diet companies are getting really sneaky mm. with How they're marketing by saying that they're not a diet, whether it's because they're saying that they're a lifestyle change or Mm. whatever it is, they're getting really creative and dancing around the fact that they actually are a diet. And so that's one of the things that really irked me about Noom from the outset was that Mm. they were so blatantly saying, we're not a diet. Mm. And I thought, there's no way that's true. (laughs) There's Mm. just no way that's true. And so that's
1: just flat out lying to people. Mm. Well, I mean, even on the statement that I took from your website, which is a quote from their website, Noom helps you build healthier habits to lose weight. No dieting needed. B, (laughs) Noom, stop dieting, get lifelong results. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. Well, anyway, you're going to say a lot about it. So (laughs) That contradicts itself even in the two claims there. How can you lose weight? Anyway, we'll see what is the problem with Noom? It says it's not a diet. So, okay. So I'm someone out in the world and it's saying it's not a diet. So you're a bit of a killjoy coming along here and saying, you know, I'm going to ask you what is wrong with it. It's not, but it's not a diet. So what's wrong with it?
0: Yeah, that's funny. I, I'm, I'm a killjoy a lot. I feel like in my job. And then I also am at home because I'm a mom of two little kids. So I, <laughs> I can own that role. Again, at the outset, before you even dig deep, I just, the fact that they're claiming to be something that they're not is so deceptive. And so wow. I have a problem with that. And maybe mm-hmm. that's because I had a career in marketing before this, but I'm like, come on, that's just wrong to be just so incredibly disingenuine and be basically tricking people and saying you're one thing when you're not. And so that's, that's the number one, but also just once you get into it and the way that they do things, the things that they encourage people to do, the things that they're not screening for, it's all very problematic. And it's, it has this tone of, this is for your health. And it's, it's not, it's not healthy. It just continues that idea that somehow if you're losing weight it must be equivalent to getting healthier. And that's not always true. Mm, absolutely. Are you saying that Noom is a diet? Absolutely. A hundred percent. If we look at how you define a diet, a diet is when we're doing anything to, whether that's manipulating our food or exercise for the purpose of changing our bodies, Mm. usually that is to lose weight. Right. I mean, if that's the very basic Mm -hmm. definition of a diet, then yeah, nooms a diet. I mean, it's all about manipulating food, in this case, changing the foods that you eat and reducing overall calories. It It, talks about calories or it's sort of. Oh, uh, yes. Absolutely. The whole thing is primarily based on reducing calorie intake, which oh, okay. I mean, when you hear that, it's like, oh, okay, because that's not new. We've been doing this for a <laughs> long time, right? Counting calories is not new. That's why this is just crazy to me that they can sit and try to spin it. Like this is new and it's different and it's not a diet. It absolutely is. And there's really nothing that new about it.
1: mm. And so you've got a list of problems on your website. So the first one, I guess, clarifying what a diet is. So a diet is obviously, you know, what what you were just saying, anything that's sort of restricting calories or intentional weight loss. We use the term a lot now, don't we, in Mm. the eating disorder field, someone who's trying to intentionally lose weight by using a diet. And you talked about that they do talk about, I'm shocked actually to hear that they talk about calories because that to me is um, a very diet talk. So, right. <laughs> so then you've got that they cut out specific foods. Like what do you mean?
0: This is one of the ways that they get a little gray because they say that there are no good and bad foods and you can eat anything. And that sounds really great on mm-hmm. the surface, but the actuality of how it works is they color code all foods. So let's back up and just explain like at a basic level, the way this works is you're tracking all your foods. You're plugging everything that you eat into this app and tracking the calories for you. And it's also labeling your foods according to a color system. So green foods are a thumbs up and you can eat You can eat those, and they think that they say that's really great. Eat those foods. Then they have the yellow and red foods that they don't mm-hmm. say you can't have them, but they say they should be limited. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, okay, so you're treating me like a kindergarten with a color coding system. Mm-hmm. It, you're still doing the same thing, which is moralizing like some foods are good and some foods yeah. are bad. And it still leads to this very black and white mentality of I should be eating this and I shouldn't be eating that. And Mm they're not specifically saying you can't eat certain foods. So I guess technically their claim is true, but that's pretty gray. That's mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, they're they're kind of toeing the line there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I know with the kids, my kids have um, been in primary school and they had Healthy Harold come and it was all very traffic light sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember my daughter coming home and saying someone told me off for having, um, you know, it was after Easter and she's got one of those yum boxes, you know, the little tappers sort of style, Japanese sort of style boxes. And so you have lots of little compartments. So there was one little chocolate egg in the tiny little dip compartment. And someone had said, that's a red light food. You you shouldn't be eating chocolate or something in your lunchbox. And I've seen people on the internet in lunchbox groups where they've had letters sent home saying, this is a red food. This is blah, blah, blah. I think, oh my God, this is crazy. Absolutely crazy.
0: Yeah, I see that kind of stuff a lot in my mom's group. There's so much pressure when it comes to how we feed our kids mm. to feed them this quote-unquote perfect diet and for everything to be quote-unquote healthy. You know, I say the quotes just because yeah, exactly. you know, I think our definitions of
1: what those things are have gotten really skewed and mm-hmm. frankly a bit disordered. Oh, absolutely. And so, look, Noom also says that you can get lifelong results. <laughs> Yes. So I just had to
0: pick apart their claim because they claim that 77% of people lost weight and kept it off for nine months, which already (laughs) to me is kind of problematic because nine months is not long-term. I mean, we are, (laughs) you know, from the diet research that one to two years is more the short-term. And then once you get past that, that's when you really start to see people weight Mm, cycle. So first of all, That's not long term. So to me, that's already problematic. I mean, who wants to go on a diet for nine months and lose weight, people want to lose it long term. So this doesn't really back up their claim of keeping it off for good, first of all, but also there's a lot of problems with that number, we have to be careful with statistics, because statistics can be manipulated in a lot of ways. And so When you really look into this number and see what's included, you realize it's pretty misleading. So Mm. going back to what I was saying earlier, at the time that I did this, there was a study on this. And so there were 10 million people that had downloaded the app at that point. Mm. However, the study that they did only included the people who had used the app for six months or more. So Mm -hmm. on the surface, that sounds like, well, yeah, that makes sense because those are the people that are using it consistently. But think about it. Why were there millions of people who weren't using it for Mm -hmm. six months or more? Mm -hmm. And It's probably either because it wasn't sustainable or it wasn't working for them, right? Just again, going back to what we already know about diets. So none of this should be surprising. So they had this study. They took the people that were basically the most successful on it, included them in the study. Then at nine months, they followed up to see how people were doing and if they were still losing weight. And what they found is number one, more than half of those people were not included in the study, probably because they were not on, Mm. (laughs) not on it still. So you have a very small percentage of people that were included in the study to begin with, because so many people had stopped using the app. And then out of that group, less than half ended up being included in that nine month stat. And so we're talking like a fraction, like not even a full percent of the people who have used the Noom app Mm. are included in that study. So to say that 77% of people who have used the app consistently have lost weight and kept it off is very misleading to say the least, because it makes it sound like 77% of people who have downloaded the app have lost weight, which is not true. We're talking like less than a percent of people that have downloaded the app have had those results.
1: I mean, even the statement, get lifelong results. I mean, it's only been around for a a few (laughs) years anyway, hasn't it? I mean, how is that lifelong anyway? Even that in itself is incorrect. So, and then, of course, we know, I can't remember what article it is now, but a recent article saying 95% 95% of people who diet will put the weight back on, which is exactly what you're saying. So, oh gosh. Okay. So the next one is that they don't flag unhealthy goal weights. So what do you mean by that? <laughs>
0: this is where I'm like, I am a rule follower and I'm like a good girl by nature. Call it that you sort of personality temperament that I, <laughs> I have, but I felt really bad kind of doing this stuff but I'm like okay this is for a good purpose but I intentionally set my goal weight mm. that they have you plug in I set it at a medically underweight weight and so mm. that should have flagged something I mean it's incredibly dangerous to be mm. underweight and of course this is all according to BMI and I have issues with BMI of that you yep. really do a whole nother podcast on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. but yeah obviously it's, it's still very prevalent and it's used in the medical field. And so it should set a flare up to, you know, they, they pair you up with like a fitness or I forgot what they call them now, some sort of coach or some wellness coach or something, Mm. you know, that should send up some sort of Red flag when you set a weight that is medically, clinically mm. underweight, because that is very dangerous. Nothing was said, didn't seem to be any concern. So I'm like, well, that's not healthy.
1: <laughs> I was talking to Fiona Sutherland way back in one of the first episodes and we were talking about our diet history. I turned 50 this year. So most of my dieting was in the 80s and going between Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers. And um, I remember going to Weight Watchers with my best friend who was tiny. It was She wanted to go there and I thought, oh yeah, I'll go along too. And then I was like a lifetime member or something. And she was tiny. And I remember when she put her her weight in and of course, having an eating disorder, I knew all about. About what was underweight and whatever else and they let her go back then even you know uh, so this is something that diet clubs have been doing for many many years is, is letting people who are already at the lower end of a BMI go in and lose even more weight
0: yeah that's so frustrating it's so harmful
1: it's really really bad really bad So the next one is, is that they expect daily weigh-ins. So what, well, what's the problem, you know, for people listening, they might think, so what I weigh myself and I know myself. I used to get on the scales about 30 times a day. What's wrong with a weigh-in?
0: Well, first of all, we know that weight fluctuates, and so there's really no reason to be weighing daily, Mm -hmm. although, you know, doing what I do, I make, (laughs) I definitely make the claim that there's no reason to weigh at all, but certainly daily is excessive, and I think that could encourage some obsessiveness and um, getting really wrapped up in those numbers. And even if somebody starts something like this without an eating disorder, if there's any kind of vulnerability to that, I think that could be, Mm. you know, a
1: catalyst um, for getting really fixated on numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And actually just while we're talking about numbers, um, I can't remember the exact name, but it's on my Instagram page. I think it's women something in the UK parliament have just put out a statement a couple of weeks ago saying and apologizing to every person that has used an NHS service. So like a Medicare service where they have the BMI used on them and that they called out in parliament that it was fat phobic and that within the year, they do not want anyone being assessed using the BMI in the UK. Wow. Which I'll link to it in the show notes. And um, once we're finished today, I can send that through to you as well. But I was really, really impressed with that because, you know, all of this stuff that we're talking about so far, this unhealthy goal weights and the the weigh-ins, it's all based around BMI, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's so problematic for a lot of reasons. I mean, just for, you know, even the average population and certainly more more so for the population that I work with with people with disordered eating and eating disorders, it becomes a problem for a lot of reasons um where people are seen as not sick or sick enough because maybe their BMI is normal or even quote unquote above average so they're not taken as seriously yeah. or they themselves are in denial I have clients all the time that will say I'm not sick I can't possibly have an eating disorder I'm normal weight or I'm yeah. quote unquote overweight and I'm like oh this is so frustrating this yeah. Yeah. stereotype and you know I think BMI is a big barrier to that
1: mm, absolutely So the next point is that they encourage you to eat foods with more water in them. So you get filled up on fewer calories.
0: (laughs) My guess is that they regularly are sending these little tips. Again, I was only on there for Uh a day. And this is one that popped up in the app. And it's like, come on, this is a classic dieting hack, trying Mm. to fill up with foods that have more water in them so that you will overall eat fewer calories. Because again, this goes back to everything's about calories. And so I don't even know what else they would end up coming up with as you continue to use the app. But to me, this is such a a sign of things to come of like, okay, we're already starting with all these dieting hacks. And again, going back to, oh yeah, all foods are fine, but you know, have foods with more water in them so that you'll Mm. fill up faster. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the kind of thing that my clients deal with, you know, where they're, they're trying to trick their stomachs into filling up on fewer calories. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What I started to think about was that bargaining that you start to do with sort of Mm -hmm. foods and I remember going to Jenny Craig and always going to the toilet before I went in and, you know, always making sure that I I remember an eating disorder group that I went to actually the the facilitator pulled me up on it because I had recommended, oh, this really great place just next door where you can get soup. And she, of course, having an eating disorder, I was really proud of myself that I was eating soup and that was all I was eating. It was because it was full of water, (laughs) you
0: know. Yes. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. There's just so much these days that actually is quite disordered that we've totally normalized. Absolutely. And it's really sad and frustrating to see.
1: Absolutely. And as we're looking at this, I'm thinking this isn't even a diet. This, I mean, this is disordered eating. When I look at all these points here that you've, you've come up with. So the next one is that it doesn't necessarily promote health like they claim Yeah. And so I know we've covered
0: some of this already and how that's true, but one of the things we didn't talk about specifically with the calorie stuff is... The calorie daily allotment that they, for instance, put me on to reach my goal weight by a a deadline that they set, you tell them if you want to go fast, medium, or slow Mm -hmm. to meet your goal, and then they tell you what the deadline is. So Mm -hmm. I had said I wanted to go fast, and they set it for, I think, maybe seven months out Mm -hmm. for me to have lost a lot of weight. Mm. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. So what they ended up setting for me was like a 1200 calorie allotment per day. Mm. Um, and I, I don't like to talk about numbers usually on podcasts, Mm. but I say this because I see 1200 floating around a lot these days. Mm. And I want it to be very clear that 1200 calories is not enough for a grown woman. It is the calorie allotment (laughs) for my toddler. Who's two? I've heard that from dietitians. Wow. I've seen that over and over, over. And then actually Sunday we were eating out after church, and um, the restaurant that we went to it has its own problems. Mm. But on the children's menu they had the calorie allotment mm. for for toddlers and for kids, and it said twelve hundred to fourteen hundred
1: calories a day for kids, and wow. <laughs> so that you would have been eating the equivalent of a two year old's.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I said in my review is like, of course cuz I wasn't actually doing the program. Sure, um sure. you know, I had blown my allotment
1: by the end of lunch. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> and I was I'm just like, looking okay, at it I I like, like I said I was just looking at it and it was um it said 30 grapes for morning tea and I thought, "Oh my god, I'd still be starving after that." Oh, for sure.
0: It's not enough. And on top of that, I at the time was nursing. Um oh. Was, this was last year and I was still nursing my daughter. And of course, that's not even that wasn't even a question that they asked in mm. the assessment. And so it was like, on top of what I would need on a daily basis, wow. I would need extra. I mean, if you're pregnant or you're nursing, you need extra calories. And that wasn't even a question mm. that they asked. And so mm. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I mean, that would have affected my health so poorly oh, to yeah. be eating such a limited amount of calories a day, especially nursing, I'm sure that would have messed with my ability to nurse. It certainly would have messed with my energy levels. And of course, it could have messed with all other kinds of things in my body, psyche,
1: everything really, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it really would have and it would have been bad for my mental health, you know, and I think that's true for most people. But it's certainly true for anybody that already struggles with disordered eating or any kind of clinical eating disorder for Mm -hmm. sure, which they don't, they don't screen for. Um, and they should, I think any kind of, well, I hope I wish programs like this didn't exist, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) they do, um, at the very least they should be screening for eating disorders and recognize that people who have eating disorders are not appropriate for their program. Mm.
1: So you saying they don't screen for eating Mm -hmm. disorders?
0: No, at least in the experience that I went through sure. in, in my free trial, unless something's changed since now and then, mm-hmm. um, no, they didn't do any kind of screening for that. And like I said, if anything, the goal weight that I set, which was medically underweight should have mm-hmm. been a red flag, but it wasn't. It's was just like, you know, we'll just as long as I turned into a paying customer, probably wasn't something they were concerned about.
1: Mm. And so this, I guess, brings me to how I found you in terms of a response that you made in the group. And typically, when we get this question, it's it's almost always um in inverted you know commas um obese clients typically. So I don't use that term, but that's the term that someone might use in when they're writing about it. So they might say something like, can we help clients who are obese lose weight? And is Noom a good place to do that? So that's how that might be described. So I'm thinking about the replies that we often see when we get this post and almost always it says, I need the advice of eating disorder therapists. And then sure enough, a whole heap of people come in who aren't eating disorder therapists, and then they give their, uh, what we call in Australia, two bobs worth. And a lot of people are recommending Noom or other kind of dieting. And what they will do is they'll cite the obesity epidemic and that surely our job is counselors and psychotherapists is to support clients on their health and weight loss journey. And that therapy is about the client, not about us and our views about something like Noom. So what would you say to therapists who, because what you also get is a whole heap of therapists on there who use Noom. Yeah. So they're they're using it themselves. So what would you say about all that? Yeah. I always find this to be
0: a struggle and those conversations on social media, because these conversations and these topics are so complex, and there's mm-hmm. so much to it, that it's hard to have a good conversation on social media. So that's always my struggle: is like, how do I condense it down to a comment of yeah. <laughs> what I want to yeah, say yeah, about exactly? It. Yeah, you know. But I, I think at the basic level, we start with a uh, challenging of the assumption that weight loss is needed or that it's an appropriate intervention mm. for a client, mm. you know, which goes into the health at every size that if this really is about health, then what about taking a look at other health promoting behaviors that have nothing to do with trying to lose weight? Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. But I think if we really spend some time diving into that health at every size research, we find that it it's totally possible to achieve or improve health outcomes uh, without necessarily losing weight. And that in fact, a lot of the interventions for weight loss do more harm than good. Mm. You know, they really do have an impact on people's physical and mental health. It is not benign to diet um, for a lot of reasons. And you know, we've got the whole social justice aspect here too uh, weight mm-hmm. stigma, and how is that affecting clients? And how are we as providers showing up? Are we showing up and we advocating for them and mm-hmm. um, introducing them, I guess, to a different way of thinking and, and thinking about themselves and their bodies? Or are we just perpetuating the old system? that mm-hmm. is predominant and is everywhere that's very harmful to them because it perpetuates this idea that there's something wrong with their bodies that does need to be fixed yeah. and just perpetuating the oppression and the stigmatization of people in larger bodies you know and that's why i say I get this whole, well, the client wants this. And I'm like, well, I I get that. However, mm. <laughs> I don't encourage clients to continue in drug use or to exactly. continue in, in uh, disordered eating because that's not in their best interest. That's harmful for them. And of course, I s- totally support body autonomy. And if a client really wants to work on losing weight and they want to do things like this, then, you know, I say, that maybe uh, somebody else is a better fit for them. You know, like when we're doing Mm -hmm. our intake, if they're really, really wanting somebody that's going to help them lose weight. I don't come from a place of judgment. I totally understand why people want to lose weight. I've been there. And Mm -hmm. I also, full disclosure, I have a straight size body. So I don't encounter what people in larger bodies have to go through. So I don't judge people wanting to lose weight, but it's not something I can ethically support because I know how much harm can come from it. And I know it doesn't work.
1: Absolutely. You know,
0: our, our job as professionals is to provide evidence-based interventions for clients yeah. and dieting and intentional weight loss efforts are not evidence-based. So I feel like it's very, it would be very unethical for me to do that for a client. Um, again, that doesn't mean I judge that at all. Um, I always support a client and whatever they decide is best for their bodies, but I'm pretty clear about what I feel like I can
1: ethically do and not do. Mm. And when you talk about evidence-based, I mean, it's the least evidence but it's not even <laughs> poor evidence-based, it's like the least mm. evidence-based uh, intervention there is, I think, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it really is. And that's hard to talk about, especially again, going back to like a thread on social media where you're trying to put so much information because mm. this idea of being in a larger body is bad for you. And it's so pervasive, right? I mean, that idea is everywhere. I mean, we see it in the media. It's in the medical field. I'm thankful that the Health at Every Size movement is growing, but it's going to take a while. And and I know if I'm being really honest and vulnerable, and it's hard to admit now, but I've been there. I mean, I remember when I first was learning about Health at Every Size, it was kind of like, this stuff can't be true. Everybody knows that being... (laughs) and a higher BMI is unhealthy. I am very thankful that I at least had the humility to say, well, maybe I should research it. We're kind of like with the Noom. I should like actually yeah. be educated before I say this is blood wash. And lo and behold, I was like, well, holy cow. There's actually some really good science and research behind this and also recognizing how biased and how Mm. manipulated the research about quote unquote obesity is. It just, it blew my mind. Really it did. And so I also try to remember that, that people who have not taken the time yet to educate themselves fully on that. I understand why they're
1: just buying into the mainstream Mm. paradigm. And it's hard, you know, as someone in a big body, you know, when I see that other 5%, even now, because we've been talking about this and because I was researching for it and looking at all the evidence again, it's like there's that, ah, oh, could I ever just be that in that 5%? You know, like that, that sort of keeps the weight off. It's very seductive because mm-hmm. what you have to deal with is grieving the loss of all those years of all that fucking wasted time and just, oh, the energy. And when I think back like 30 years of going through this every single day, it's and then to be told by someone um, health at every size and you think, hang on a minute, I've been dieting for 30 years, come on. (laughs) It's painful. Yeah,
0: it really is. And I had a client recently say, I just, I'm not ready to give up on mm. all of this because I really want to get there mm. no matter what it costs, because I want everything I've gone through at this point to be worth it. Oh. So I know you're not the only one that has struggled with those, those feelings. Um, oh,
1: Absolutely.
0: It's, there is a grief. And I talk about that a lot, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like going through the stages of grief, there's going to be anger and denial and sadness and bargaining. And there's all those different stages. I think we go through when we realize the reality of all of this, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a process.
1: Oh, absolutely. So we've started to talk about health at every size and I, I was going to ask you, so if not dieting and not Noom, then what? So yeah, so I definitely
0: work from uh, a health at every size standpoint, which I think is very closely tied to intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's not familiar with the term of intuitive eating, it's basically a shift away f- approaching food from an external rules kind of standpoint about being told what you should eat or, or not eat and tuning into your body and starting to develop a trusting relationship with your body that it can guide you and what you should eat and how much and when. Um, and uh, speaking of processes, that's definitely a process <laughs> to go from having had you know, very distrustful relationship, and Mm. maybe even disordered eating or an eating disorder type of relationship with food for a long, long time. um, You know, it it can be a process to get to a place of intuitive eating, but it is, it is possible. Uh, There are 10 principles, they all work together. And, Mm. you know, it's just a a framework of how to have a relationship with food that doesn't involve a lot of stress and guilt and anxiety. And it's, It's just an incredibly freeing way to approach food. It's been life-changing for me and I've seen the same for clients. So I'm, I definitely believe in it and it's, it's what I teach clients when I work with them.
1: Yeah, so how are you working with people? Because I know when I looked at your website, I came across a course on there. I think your colleague runs that. So have you got a group practice? Is that what's happening? I do, yeah. yeah just over okay. the last
0: year, wasn't it wasn't like on my radar to do when I came back from maternity leave mm-hmm. last year. But things just exploded. I think some of that is just a testament to how hard the last year and a half has been COVID. And uh, there's been a lot of turmoil in the world um, Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons over the last year and a half. And so I think we've seen that reflected in in mental health. Mm -hmm. So my practice got full fast. And it was really hard to be turning people away, especially because I know they were hearing that everybody else was full, and they really weren't sure where they were going to go to get treatment. So I ended up hiring some people. So I have a therapist that works for me. And then I also have a coach. And so my my coach also runs a body image program that we just launched. And she's uh-huh. a few weeks. in. <laughs> it's going really well. She's loving it. It's just going great. And so I'm really excited about that. I didn't have capacity to do it. But it's been something I've wanted to do for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I was very excited to get her on board. And, you know, it took me a while to find staff that I really trust, because Mm -hmm. I'm very particular, I wanted to make sure I hired people that believe in health at every size and intuitive eating. And uh, it's the same philosophies I have working with clients. And so I'm very, I feel very confident in my team and I'm just enjoying working with them a whole lot. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I still see clients one-on-one and then there's the body image program that my coach Lindley runs and she, she also sees clients one-on-one uh-huh. and then my best friend, Fran, she sees clients one-on-one. So We've got a nice little team right now able to offer services for people who need it in Texas for therapy and then you know, worldwide for coaching.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. So what I will do obviously is link to your online course and obviously website and the profiles there on the show notes. So just for people at home or for someone who can't afford therapy, I mean, you've got an online course, which is great. They always tend to be a little bit more affordable for for someone. So someone's listening today. They, I guess like we used to be, you know, like I thought, Oh, I just cannot do this one more time it, it was just it just became exhausting um what wh- where can they start at home so what's what's your sort of top tip for someone who maybe can't get to see you or wants to start this at home what would you say
0: sure. i think there's so much that's available free now which is just such a blessing of technology i mean mm. there are wonderful podcasts like this one yeah. and um there are so many people on social media. I mean, social media is a double-edged sword. We have to be really intentional about Mm -hmm. what we are filling our feed with. But if you curate your feed in the right way, it can be full of a lot of really positive messages related to making peace with food and learning intuitive eating and finding some body acceptance. And so... I think that, and then if you have the resources to buy books, there are so many amazing books on my website. I have a list of just some, it doesn't even include all of the recommended resources, um, Mm -hmm. but it has some podcasts and some books on there that I think are, are very pivotal. And um, so I think those are great places to start. If you know, something like therapy or coaching is not an option because of time or money resources,
1: Mm um, Great. So I might get you to send me through the um, link to that resource page too, because I think that'll be really useful for people. So, okay. So uh, let's finish off by, would you recommend Noom? No, No. (laughs) I definitely don't recommend Noom. Is Noom a diet? Noom is definitely a diet. Okay, good. So we're very, very clear about that. <laughs> okay. Look, thank you so much. I really, um, you know, I know when you you posted the article last week and then when I read it, it was... Um, you know, I just loved what you had to say. And I've really enjoyed having you here today. And um, I love that you were willing to dive in and um, like even get inside there and do the research. And um, yes, I need to see the man behind the curtain, you know, so I could talk about it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think this is going to be really useful for a lot of people. So thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you for having me. It's it's been a joy.
0: I can talk about anti-diet stuff all day long every day.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, thanks for coming. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions
0: Podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind, and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.